don't know for any of you if that conjures up the picture it conjures up for me that music I just see like the wicked witch of the west riding her bike or Dorothy in a tornado in Kansas I don't know uh, welcome again to our series letters from home we started this off last week and uh, I really enjoyed watching people react differently and heard people react differently to uh, to this series we got everything from people going you know I miss when everyone used to write letters and you could go to your mailbox and there was actually mail that was written to you and not just a bunch of advertising stuff. And then we had that on one side and then we had everything from that to people who were like, letters? What are letters? You know, people used to write to each, what? What are you talking about? I don't get it. That's what my middle school, what? You know, I don't understand. Now, regardless of how you feel about letter writing, whether uh, it is something that you hope makes a comeback, a lost art that you hope comes back, or whether you think it's a dinosaur that should just stay extinct, I will tell you that I believe that letters still have an important place in our world. And if you disagree with me, too bad. I have the microphone this week, so it's not going to help you. Um, but no, if you disagree with me, I'll, I'll say this. that I think there, we can all agree that there is one kind of letter in particular that just never seems to go out of style, no matter what the time or the era. Hate mail. Am I right? Hate mail. It never goes out of style. People still write hate mail. Is there anything that can force you to go old school and, and put pen to paper and write a letter? Is there anything that can encourage you to do that more than a deep, guttural disdain for another human being? I don't think so. And you know it, too. Because you know why? Because haters got to hate, 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 hate. Yeah, something like that. Now, now really, do you know the reason I know why that, that hate mail is still popular? You want to know the reason? Because I work in a church. And you may not realize this, but we're like the, we're like the hate mail capital of the world in terms of getting hate mail. Um, in, in fact, Steve Howard, our senior pastor, he tells a story about a young leader that he, uh, he, I think it was at a conference, a young leader came up to him and it was somebody he sort of knew. And, and they're like, Pastor Howard, Pastor Howard. And he's like, oh, hey. And they're like, Pastor Howard, I got to tell you something. I got, I, I got my first piece of hate mail. And they're kind of proud, you know, like. I'm really coming to my own. I got my first piece of hate mail. And, and uh, Pastor Howard heard that. And he's like, really? Wow, okay. He said, well, let me ask you. Did they use any four-letter words in that hate mail? And the person was like, no. And Pastor Howard said, well, then you haven't gotten hate mail yet. <laughs> Just keep waiting for it. It's going to come someday. Um, it really does seem ironically, oddly, weirdly, it's kind of eerie, that there is nothing that brings out the inner hater in people more than... A pastor sitting up front talking about Jesus. It's just weird how this works. But I don't, I'm not offended by that. It's okay. It's just the way that things work. What's really weird is that this has been true since the ancient world. Uh, It's kind of like what we're going to look at today in this letter that Paul has written. So in this series, we're studying a letter, a single letter, um, that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a region called Galatia. Now, I know for some of you, Galatia sounds like it might be a place from Star Wars. But it's actually a real place. It's a, it's a real place in the, in the Roman Empire. And Paul was writing to a group of churches. And we're going to study his letter week by week. And it's kind of a collection of letters or a collection of ideas within one letter. And this week we're going to see not, not Paul writing hate mail. He didn't do that. We're going to see Paul responding to haters who were coming against him. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2 today. It's the second part of the letter that we're looking at. And uh, we're going to start off where we started, or we left off rather, last week with uh, Paul sharing his story. He's sharing his story about what happened after he began to believe in Jesus. He used to persecute Christians, and then he came to be a Christian and believe in that. And he's sharing his story, and he talks about how he began to encounter haters. 
which again shouldn't surprise us because Paul was working in the church and we're just magnets for that kind of stuff. And again, it's okay. But also it shouldn't surprise us because this happens anytime someone tries to make a positive change in their life. There is nothing that attracts haters more than someone who tries to change their life for the better. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean if you ever quit smoking. I, I did that uh, in my life. And, and you quit smoking and, and you tell someone about that. And then there are these haters that just come out of nowhere and they're like, oh yeah. I quit smoking once too. The first month was easy, but you just wait. You're like, man, why you got to hate? Why can't, why, you know, encourage me. Be happy for me. Or have you ever, have you ever lost weight? And uh, you have that awkward conversation where someone pulls you to the side and they're like, hey. You're like, what? And they're like, are, are you Okay. What do you mean, am I okay? Well, I don't know. You just, you just don't look well. You look, you look kind of sickly. Are, are you okay? And you're like, come on, I'm losing weight. You know, don't hate. I'm losing weight. I'm looking good. Don't be jealous. That brings haters out. So, so Paul has had this dramatic life change. And just like with us, haters come out of the woodwork. And we're going to look at what Paul says to do, how he responds to them. And I think we can learn a lot about how to respond to haters in our lives. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Starts this way. It's just kind of abrupt, but it's a letter, and we just got to go with it. He says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, where, where the church leaders were located. This time with, with two guys. I took Barnabas and Titus along with me. I went in response to a revelation from God. And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So, Paul was preaching a, a slightly different gospel Which maybe sounds a little crazy to you if you've been a part of the church for a while. You're like, isn't the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't that just the gospel? What was different about Paul's gospel that he's preaching is that it's a gospel that didn't require circumcision. Now, some of you, your minds are blown because you're like, what is circumcision? What does a medical procedure have anything to do with believing in Jesus? Well, in ancient Jewish faith, it had a lot to do with it. If you were a man, that's how you showed that you were a part of God's family. You You deliberately underwent surgery. You got circumcised. And Paul is now preaching a gospel among Greek people, among Gentile people, where he says you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. Here's what you have to do. You only have to believe in Jesus and be baptized into his name. And and you can begin to follow Jesus too. It was kind of different. It was controversial at the time. So he goes up there and he shares with the leaders of the church this gospel because, he says, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now, if you're feeling a little lost here, let me, let me just kind of catch you up. So Paul says, this is about 17 years, 17 years after his transformation to Christianity, he becomes a Christian instead of persecuting the church. Uh, 17 years later, as far as I can tell, this is the second time that he goes up to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders. And the reason he's doing it is because he wants, he wants to make sure that they have his back on this gospel issue. That again, nothing is required in order to follow Jesus really, other than believing in him and being baptized, that you don't have to become culturally Jewish, you don't have to follow laws, you don't have to go through rituals or anything else in order to be a Christ follower, that it's okay for you to do. And so he goes up and he, and he shares with them this gospel and he says, guys, I need to know that you have my back. And they do, they agree with him. They say, we, we're, we're behind you, we agree. Paul says, "This verification here, I even had this guy Titus with me. And he was a Greek and, and he hadn't been circumcised. And they didn't even say, hey, Titus, well, you really should get circumcised. And Titus, he was a pastor. 
So this is a pastor, not just a, a normal Christian. This is a leader in the church. And they didn't even insist that Titus follow the uh, religious laws in order to become a Christian. So Paul says, they had my back. They supported me. They were loving on me. But the reason this whole thing came up, the, the whole purpose of his trip was because of this. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Now he talks about false believers here, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means as I've studied that. I don't believe what this means is that these people were, were like, you know, secret agents or something. People who were just pretending to be Christ followers who snuck into the church and started listening to what Paul was teaching. No, I, I think what we have here is we don't have, we don't have people pretending. We don't have spies in, in that sense. What we have here is we have confused believers. They're false believers in that they're confused believers. They're confused Christians. And what had happened is, is they were missing a central tenet of the Christian faith. Again, namely that you don't have to do anything in order to win God's favor. God already favors you. All you have to do is receive it through Jesus. Uh, and the way you do that is through baptism. So they were confused Christians, which, which are dangerous people, by the way. Uh, confused Christians are kind of the most dangerous people you'll ever meet. Because they've got half of their story right. right? They're, they're half truthful. They're half correct. And when you encounter people like that who are half right, they can sound really convincing. They, a lot of what they say sounds right. And you can just buy into it hook, line, and sinker. And so that's what Paul was talking about. These, these false believers or these confused Christians came in to, to the church. And, uh, and they come in and they start stirring up hate. They're not happy with Paul. You know, they're meeting out in the parking lot after service, and they're like, this Paul guy, you know, what does he think he's doing? And all the stuff he's saying, and can you believe all of these Greek people coming into our churches? Can you believe that? You see what, the way they're dressed, and they don't know how to act, and they, they don't know what to do when we're praying. And, man, this, this is a mess. This guy's wrecking our church. And worse, you, you know what Paul's doing? You know what I heard the other day? Well, I heard in my Bible study, I heard, I heard, right, tell me this never happened, I heard, that he's, he's changing the new member class. Can you believe this? Paul's going to change the new member class. He's not going to require people to be circumcised anymore. Can you believe that? My goodness. You should sign a petition or something. All these haters get fired up because they're confused. They believe that you have to still follow all of the commandments, all of the religious uh, you know, uh, rituals of the Old Testament in order to be a believer. And this is fascinating to me that as Paul is dealing with haters in his ministry, the greatest threat are not people who are outside. And I think this is true for us too, right? I mean, we wring our hands about radical Islamists, radical atheists, radical whoever else. I mean, maybe they're Mormons, radical Mormons riding bikes somewhere in the world. I don't know. Uh, but we wring our hands about those people. We, we see them as our greatest threat. But the truth is, the greatest threat probably is inside of us. They're within our ranks. They are us. You know, if, if I brought up a, a panel of some of our staff people, they could share stories with you that would just make your stomach hurt. They'd make you sick. They'd make you want to cry. Stories of people who have encountered great hate within the church from Christians and even church leaders. It's just weird the way this works. They could share stories with you about a young man who went to a church leader because he was confessing that he was struggling with his sexuality. He, he thought he might be gay and was trying to figure out what to do with that. And he was basically told that God didn't love him and that he shouldn't pray anymore. 
wow. I mean, this is not from someone outside the church. This is from, from someone within the church, someone leading in the church even. You hear stories about a woman who, uh, unbeknownst to people in her life, for obvious reasons, she had had an abortion earlier in her life. And, and one day she heard some Christians talking about how anyone who had an abortion, they were a murderer and they were going to hell. Wow. Right? I mean, that, that's not the stuff you expect to find in church. Or you hear stories about a single mom who wanted to get her kids baptized but was turned away, again, by church leadership because she wasn't married. So how could she possibly want to get her kids baptized, right? As if that makes sense. But, or, or another mom who, who was actually married, but her husband didn't come to church. And she said every time she went into a church, she immediately felt kind of judged or people distancing themselves from her because they thought she was a single mom, as if that's a really horrible thing, right? I mean, I mean, it's awful stuff that happens inside the church. There are awful things that we do to each other. And I guess it makes sense because churches are places where sinners gather. Uh, so I guess it makes sense that occasionally it should turn into a ca- hater convention, but it still doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it good. And if you've ever been the object of hate in your life, and and I think you have, otherwise maybe you're just in a state of glorious oblivion about this whole thing. But if you have, I mean, one of the natural questions to ask when when someone's hating on you is why? You know, what's, what's wrong with this person? What did I do to you? And as I've learned more about haters in my life, there are a number of reasons that motivate people to turn to hate. One of them is evil. I mean, sometimes people are just evil. And I know it's not popular to say, because we live in a world where we don't want to call anyone evil. People are just misunderstood, or they're, they're hurting, or they're broken. And I think it's true most of the time. But sometimes there is no explanation for human behavior other than the fact that it's evil. Jesus talks this way. The Bible talks this way all of the time. That there, are, there is evil in the world, and people sometimes operate under the influence of evil. And I'm telling you, sometimes this is the reason people hate, is because evil is at work in them or through them. They may not be evil, but evil's definitely got a hold of them. There's no other explanation. But sometimes it's not evil. Sometimes it is hurt. There's a great old saying, hurting people hurt people. All right, hurting people hurt people. Often the reason people hate, the reason people hurt you is because there's not stuff, or there is stuff in their life that, that's not right. There's, there's pain. They've been hated on. They're just, they're just passing on what they get, right? So hurting people hurt people. That's a powerful reason that people hate. Another reason is that some people have a critical spirit. I, I think some people are just born ornery. Have you noticed that? <laughs> they're just like curmudgeons from birth. It just happens to some people. And so they have a critical spirit. And you know what? Sometimes they don't even mean to be hateful. They're just kind of thinking out loud. And so they say all this critical stuff. They're not really sure. But they're just kind of a negative person. And, and so they tend to spout off a lot of hate. Uh, sometimes it could be a need for self-importance. We all want to be important. Uh, some of us can find ways to be important and to contribute in positive ways. But that's hard. Some of us take the easy way out, the shortcut, and we find that you can, you can, you can be important. You can get a following around you. Um, you can, you know, make yourself a, a bigger person or a more uh, interesting person or uh, just, just a more, um, I don't know, followable person by spouting hate. That, uh, that's, that's a way with, through negativity and through, through being critical and you can gather a following. And if you don't believe me, just uh, go home today and turn on cable news, right? This is true. And I know some of you are CNN people or MSNBC people and some of you are Fox News people. I'm telling you, it's an industry fueled on people finding importance through hate. 
through being critical, not being constructive. I think it's destroying our nation, but that's another message some other time. But self-importance is something that drives people to do this. Um, or I think, I think most often what's at play, at least in the church, is this. Good intentions. See, I think a lot of us end up being haters, but we never intended to be a hater. We would never call ourselves hater. We started off with good intentions. Again, most often in the church, we started off with a good intention of just simply wanting to help people know what it is that God wants for them. But along the way, we, we got confused, right? Like, like the people in Paul's day, we started getting mixed up about what the heart of the gospel really is. So we find ourselves getting confused and we find ourselves unwittingly hating. Again, I think this happens a lot to people in the church. We start off with good intentions, but along the way, as we encounter people, we find ourselves turning into a hater because we get confused, specifically about a very important distinction that God talks about in the Bible. The distinction between the ideal and the real. Say this with me. The ideal and the real. The ideal and the real. We fail to distinguish between the ideal and the real. Now, now I think a lot of us start off who, those of us who end up as, as uh, haters or maybe play a part of a hater for a little while, I think a lot of us start off with the good intention of just trying to uphold God's ideals. Which isn't a bad thing, right? I mean, that's a good thing, isn't it? I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to live in a world that rejects any sense of ideals. Do you? See, I don't want to live in a world that rejects any sense of standards where anything goes and we just kind of keep lowering the bar like a, like a weird game of limbo where you just keep lowering the bar as time goes on and, and pretty soon just no one does anything anymore because we've, we've lost sight of the ideal. I, I don't want to live that way. Do you? Is that the kind of world you want? Where there are no ideals, no one tries, no one, no one, no one tries to hit the mark even if they know they can't hit it? No, I mean, I don't think any of us want to live in that world. And for me, the reason I don't want to live in a world like that is not because I, you know, I want people to respect the moral authority of God. I think God can handle that issue on his own. If if God wants to enforce his own moral authority, he is plenty capable of doing that on his own. We can see that throughout the Bible. Now, see, see, the reason I I want ideals in our world is because I believe, I know that God's ideals are the best ways for us to live. That's what an ideal is. It's not just about moral standards. God's ideals actually are are God lovingly saying to us, hey, here are the best things for you. Here are the best ways for you to live. If you just listen to me, you could experience wholeness and less pain and greater fullness and greater meaning and greater purpose. And you, you could bless more people in your life. And it would be great if you just listen to my ideals. See, that's why I think it's important to uphold the ideals. Otherwise, we are gonna miss out on so many of the great things in life that God, God just gives to us. He says, here, here's what you should do. Here's some advice. Otherwise, we're living these lives of trial and error, and we're going to find a lot of pain along the way. So I'm a fan of ideals, and I get why a lot of us are zealous for upholding ideals, but here's where things go wrong. When we don't also understand what's real, and what's real according to the Bible, this is real. You ready? This is real. That none of us can meet God's ideals, not in all areas of our life. And again, where this gets confusing is that some of us think we can get close in some areas of life, and maybe we can. Maybe there are parts of your life where you feel like you're you're pretty close to living out God's ideal. And that puffs you up or that fills you with a sense of pride or a sense of of, uh, righteous indignation or moral authority or something else. 
And, and so we look around the world and we, we we're excited about ideals, but we see the reality of the world that people aren't measuring up. And what happens? Well, we get confused. We don't know what to do with this. And too often we get in people's faces. We start talking about their brokenness. We threaten them with, with consequences. You know, if you don't keep doing this, if you stop doing this rather, if you keep doing this, you're going to go to hell. Because we think that what it means to be faithful is to uphold the ideal so much that we make anyone feel bad, we make them feel guilt or shame about not meeting the ideal. When the reality is they, they probably already know they're not meeting the ideal. They don't need to be reminded of that. See, see, the way to get this right, the way to get this right, this whole distinction between ideal and real is this. God calls us to uphold the ideal. It's going to be here in a second. Uphold the ideal and have grace for the real. See, this is God's intention for us. That yes, there are ideals and they are meant to be up, upheld. I do not want to live in a world without ideals, without standards. It's not good for any of us. And yet God calls us to have grace for the real. Now, before you get too excited about all this, this isn't original to me. So if you're blowing up Twitter right now being like, my pastor is a genius. Yes, I am, but not today. I stole this from someone else. Um, but I think it's true, right? Um, that we, we, we need to learn how to, how to uphold the ideals but have grace for the real. Because if you know the heart of the gospel, what's central to our Christian faith, it's this, we are not saved by what we do. We don't earn God's favor by our ability to keep his ideals. It's not true. We are saved by God's favor because God loves us. And we are saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ that begins at our baptism. That's how we're saved. You understand that? And so for us, we need to find ways to, to uphold the ideal because the ideal, again, is not about how do you win God's favor. No, that's not what it's there for. But God's ideals are showing us the best way to live, how to live life in wholeness, in fullness. And yet we need to come to grips with the fact that none of us are going to live here. There is such thing as reality. We are living real lives. Some of us will not be able to move beyond the reality of our life. And in that case, we can still uphold the ideal and say, hey, there, there, are, there are standards that God has for us. God has, God has these perfect pictures of how we are to live out our lives in relationship with each other. And yet he knows that none of us can do that. We should still aspire for those things. But for all the rest of us, I mean, all of us who are living short of his ideals, there's grace for us. Uphold the ideal. Don't beat up the people who are living the real. Now, maybe some of you are, are going, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. And maybe this helps you understand better why I think a lot of good-intentioned people, a lot of people with good hearts, end up becoming haters. But I think what we ultimately need to know in all this is how to respond when people are hating on us. And so Paul does that. I'm going to show you, to show you this pretty quickly. Um, he does that in the rest of this part of the letter today. He talks about his response then to these haters who uh, creeped up in the church. He says, so we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So he says, first, I didn't give in to them. And then he's going to give us two strategies for dealing with haters. Two things you can do and one thing you should never do, okay? Two things you can do when you're dealing with haters in your life and one thing you should never do. The first thing is this. Paul says, just ignore them. <laughs> Watch this. He says, uh, as for those who were held in high esteem, you know, these leaders in the church, whatever they were, that makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. And these highly esteemed people, they added nothing to my message. 
On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So Peter was so important, but Paul's going, hey, you know, who cares what, what's going on there? Because let me show you what God's doing in my life. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So in short, Paul's saying, you know what? It's okay just to ignore the haters. The problem with us is that we don't want to ignore the haters because often the haters are people that we hold in esteem. We crave their approval. We wonder, hey, why why don't they like me? What did I do? Why, Why do they like all those people but they don't like me? You know, we get bothered that the popular girl in school, who's, who's the mean girl, that she doesn't like us. And so we're like, well, well wait, why, why, why does she hate me? And, and we, we, when we do that, you know what we're doing? When we give them esteem, when we, we give them, like, our, our desire for them to love us, we're giving them power over us. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give those people power over me. I know where I stand. I know the one who, uh, who, who told me this stuff. I know what I'm preaching is true. I know that my life is right, and God is my judge, not people. See, you can't convince a hater to love you. There's something broken inside of them. It's not even about you. It's about them. Paul understood that. I think we need to grow in understanding that. Don't give these people power to hurt you. They have no power to hurt you. Now, if that sounds easier said than done, you know, how, do you, how do you not care? How do you just kind of, you, know, you just put on a thick skin and you get really tough? No, what, what Paul would say and what Paul lived was, he would say, hey, the way you handle this is you embrace the gospel. You live by grace. When you know you have God's approval, when you know what God thinks of you, does it matter what anyone else says? See, why give those people power as if, as if they can speak reality over you or by their approval you live and die? No, no, no. That's what we talked about last week. Paul says if, if you have a hard time ignoring the hate in your life, then you need to dig deeper into the gospel. You need to live your life in the grace of God because when, when, you, when you're into that, it'll set you free. Now here's a caution, okay? Here's a caution if you're going to try to ignore the haters. It just makes them matter. You notice this? You ignore the haters, it makes them hate more. And they may even call you arrogant. They may say you're aloof. They may say that you think you're better than other people. And all of that could be true if your confidence, if, you, if your confidence is based on yourself, if you're just kind of cocky. Well, then I guess they're right. But if your confidence is based in the gospel and what God has said, then your confidence is well placed. See, when, when you give power to God's words and what he has said about you, what he has done for you, then you've got the power to ignore the haters. Now, I'm not there yet, I'll I'll admit, but I think it's somewhere we can all go. See, me on the other side, I I stink at ignoring people. I'm a fighter and I want to fight. And that's the second thing that Paul says. He says sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to ignore him. Just be like, hey, who, who cares what you think? It doesn't matter to me. I know what God says. But Paul says there are certain times when you need to confront people. Now, some of you have a confrontation problem. You can't confront people. Some of you, like me, you want to confront too many people, and you need to get better at ignoring. But Paul says for different seasons, both of these are important. Take a look at what he says. He says, when Cephas, Peter, by the way, we looked at these words um, a couple of weeks ago in our ID series. It's kind of fun. You're going to see him again from a different angle. Uh, When Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, the the leaders in Jerusalem, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when these haters arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Because he was afraid of those who belong to the hater group, the circumcision group. He, He got afraid. And not only that, but other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even this nice guy Barnabas was led astray. A guy with good intentions, he was sucked into this. So, so Paul says there was a situation right after this where, where all of these guys got sucked into hate. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, I called him out, I confronted him. I said, you're a Jew, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews, he goes on, I love this. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Do you hear this? Paul's going, hey, those of us who are Jewish, who were born that way, we know something. We know that not one of us is saved by the works that we do. Really? Yeah, Paul says, of course. But we know that we are, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul says you can't save yourselves by by trying to do all of the works, by by living up to the ideal. That's not the way it works, Paul says. And I love this. He just calls Peter out in front of everyone. Now that may seem like like Paul is is just returning hate with hate, but he's not. See, what does he realize here? He realizes that Peter is a good guy. Peter has good intentions, but he, like all of us, he got a little confused. He's a confused believer at this point. And so Paul says, hey, Peter, i gotta, I got to remind you of what's true. i got to remind you of what we know. What do we know? What do we know? We're not saved by what we do, what we eat, whether we're circumcised or not. We are saved by what God has done for us through Jesus. He calls him out in order to set him right. See, a couple of nuances if you're going to confront a hater in your life. First, you should always have a relationship with them. You should always have a relationship with them. No one's ever won someone over by arguing with them on Facebook. You know that, right? And you know those trolls out there on blogs who just try to provoke people into fights? No one has ever changed their mind by arguing with them. It just doesn't work that way. It should be someone you have a relationship with. Someone who you know is good intention. And your goal is to remind them of what they've forgotten, of what they already know. And it's not easy and it's not fun. But you have a responsibility to do this for people in your life. I want you to hear me say that again. If you are in a relationship with someone and and they are turning to hate... You've got a responsibility, if you know them and you know they're a person of good intention, not to leave and just go, oh, you know what, that's okay. I I know them. They're just, it's all right. They mean well. No, no, no. You have a responsibility like Paul to confront them and say, hey, wait a minute. You believe just like I do. You know just like I do. You know better than the things that you're saying right now. What's up with that? Come on. Come on. You know better. You're better than that. You've got a responsibility to do that. So uh, Paul says you can ignore the haters in your life, and sometimes that's all we need to do. Um, but if they're people we have a relationship with, we need to confront them. But Paul says no matter what, don't hate back. That's just hard, isn't it? Because when, when someone's hating on you, you just want to return hate for hate. But I think Jesus talked about this, didn't he? Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he said, you know, if, if you love the people who love you, what good is that? You, do you think God's going to give you credit for loving people who love you? You can love the lovers all day long. That's not really a big deal. He said, no, no, no. 
But I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, Jesus doesn't allow us to hate the haters. Because guess what? He loves the haters. He loves all of us. And there's a little bit of hater in all of us, right? And Jesus didn't just talk about this. He didn't just say these fancy words and then go do something else. No, no, he lived these words, right? He went to a cross and he, he hung up there while people said the most hateful things in all of the world. Spoke blasphemy against him, taunted him, said ugly things, teased him, humiliated him. And, and he hung there on the cross. Why? Because he was doing exactly what he told us to do. He said, no, no, no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See, the gospel means for us that none of us have the right to hate anyone. That we are not entitled to return hate for hate. And if you're someone sitting here today and you just can't love your enemies, at very least, here's what you can do. Don't hate back. See, see, the way I can conclude this is this way. When you live by the gospel, when you live by grace, when you live by the gospel and its power, haters lose all their power. Say that again. When you live by the gospel and its power, haters lose all their power. One more time. When you live by the gospel and its power, then haters will lose all of their power. And that even includes the inner hater inside of you because sometimes the most critical voice in your life is your own. When you live by the power of the gospel, haters will lose all theirs. That's as far as I want to take you this week. 